Hello and welcome to 73 and Sunny, the podcast about the journey of getting things just right. We talk to tech sales and marketing leaders about how they're growing, dialing in best practices and getting closer to that sweet spot. We are honored to have the opportunity to speak with our guest today. He's a four-time founder and sales consultant. He's written three books on sales, hosts the annual Surf and Sales Summit in Costa Rica and has over 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. Please welcome Scott Lease. Hey, Scott. What's up? How's it going, Daniel? How are you? So well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I should say, first of all, uh, it's not 73 and sunny in San Diego. It's like one of the days of the year that it just pours rain and it's miserable. So we are nowhere near that sweet spot today, Scott. <laughs> Neither am I, man. It's actually been pouring rain in Austin, Texas today. So we've got the same thing going on. Fair enough. Um, I, 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 I invited you on the show because... You, you're a prolific uh, content creator on LinkedIn. I'm sure you're other places too, but that's where I see you. And, and so I really wanted to have you on to talk about uh, insights into sales and re uh, revenue generation. Um, do you want to start with you know, where you came from and how you got into content creation? Yeah, you know, I actually got started with it uh, essentially as a recruiting tool for myself. Um, you know, I, I've been a head of sales, VP of sales, whatever you want to call it, six times um, over the years and had offices all across the country, different geographies and whatnot. And years ago, I, I got tired of paying for job ads and like the struggles to recruit in these different places, which is a challenge for everybody. And I sort of thought, well, I just need to grow my network as big as possible. So I know every single salesperson in San Francisco and New York and Chicago and LA and San Diego. And I kind of just would go into each kind of micro system inside of LinkedIn and try to connect with everybody in this particular city as that I could. And then the thesis was, well, when I need to hire somebody, I'll just make a little post that says, Hey, I'm hiring for an account executive. I'm hiring for a sales manager in such and such location. And then bang, you know, it'd be a lot easier. So that was how it started. It was through growing the size of my network, specifically to save money and make recruiting easier. And from there, it kind of grew into, well, maybe I'll share some things about sales. Maybe I'll share some things about sales leadership. Maybe I'll share some things about, uh, you know, going out on business on my own whatever, whatever the topics were. And, and, you know, you, you start to open yourself up a little bit, be vulnerable, get creative, write some things. And, you know, you get feedback and that feedback, if it's positive, uh, kind of propels you forward. And so that, that was where the journey kind of began. And, you know, I think I probably started with that strategy around 2011 or so, but really didn't start creating content real hardcore until about 2016 or so, I think. We had Josh Braun on uh, two episodes ago. So go back and check that out if you'd like to listen to it. He's a really interesting guy, but also a LinkedIn kind of sales influencer. And one of the questions we had uh, was around how he comes up with every with a new post every day. Do you have a strategy? He he had a list of, you know, he was always, he was like a, a story gatherer. So he was, he takes notes wherever he goes to try and, you know, remember and link 
remember something that happened to him and link that to some lesson that he wants to talk about? Do you have some strategy of posting or do you just wake up with a, with a, an inspired mind? No, I, I don't have a strategy and, uh, I am not in any way suggesting that that's the smart or wise way to do it. Um, but I don't, I, I have always just kind of operated with, well, I wake up today and what's on my mind. Was it something I thought of on my own? Was it a conversation I had yesterday or early this morning with Daniel or something I've been struggling with or, you know, people have been messaging me about that I should kind of talk about. And if I had something interesting to say, I, I would say it. And if I couldn't find anything interesting to say, I just wouldn't say anything. Um, <clears throat> so I, I feel like there is an element of, uh, you know, kind of creativity, um, I'm calling it an audible kind of every day or improvisation and whatnot. But I will also tell you that it creates a tremendous amount of stress for me because the first thing I think of when I wake up is what the fuck am I going to write today? <laughs> Do you think? And the, the, the burden and pressure of that is very real when you've been doing this for as long as I have. And, you know, people are sort of expecting you to be brilliant today or write something funny or creative. And it's like, man, sometimes I don't have anything to say at all, you know? And I, I'm just not one of these people that can go lock myself in my office and and write content for the next 30 days and just schedule it out. I, I just don't operate that like that. If, if, the, if inspiration hits, I have something to say. If not, I'm absent that day. So this, uh, this recollection back to a post, I don't know how well you would remember the things that you posted if they're coming off the top of your dome uh, every every day. Um, but you wrote or you posted that the traditional sales playbooks might be missing the mark. The struggle to connect with prospects is real and it's impacting the heartbeat of growth, authentic customer connections. So I wanted to ask first, maybe if you don't remember it, I'm glad I re refreshed your memory. What do you think has changed about customer engagement that's causing this lack of of authentic consumer connections our insatiable drive for efficiency and growth at all costs because you're trying to always do more with less and squeeze more with less and and you just end up moving a little bit carelessly and a little bit thoughtlessly at times right you know we used to go back go back 100 years the business got done in person and you met with people and you built relationships and and then some deal was struck and then it evolved to well i better fly to san diego to close this deal with daniel and then we're just like well we can do all of this on the phone now right and then from there we evolved to i actually i don't even think i need to talk to daniel i can just email him back and forth a, a bunch of times and then we got real smart and built tech around these tools because making one phone call at a time wasn't efficient enough, Daniel. We need a power dialer that can call 20 numbers at the same time. And one, when somebody answers, we're like, oh, hey, uh, which one were you? And then we built these tools for email, these spam cannon tools where we could just load all these email addresses in and create this like minute personal, you know, personalization of a message and we sent all these emails and what we did was we 
have come damn close to killing off these channels entirely. Because I don't know about you, but my ringer is off all day long. It automatically goes to voicemail if, it, if it's not a number that I recognize. My voicemail tells you I literally don't check my voicemail, so you got to text me, right? I'm not answering the phone. I barely even answer the phone if my parents or my friends call, let alone a stranger. Yeah. Right? And I'm not responding to emails from total strangers or spam messages or solicitations. I, don't, I feel like I don't have time in my day. And we get dozens of those messages every single day in email. And now we get them in our DMs on LinkedIn as well. So we, we have kind of poisoned the well for ourselves a little bit and gotten away from what works at the heart, which is really understanding what's going on with your prospects business, asking the right kind of questions, listening intently, having built a relationship with them over time. So there's some level of inherent trust there. And then helping somebody understand how you can solve this particular problem. That process has been deemed too inefficient and too slow. So that's what I was talking about in, in that post. I, I remember writing it. I couldn't tell you if it was from one month or one year ago or whatever it was from, but I, I do remember it. Well, it's, I guess, not paradoxical, but it's ironic in some ways that what was that now that you have to focus on doing your research and finding out you, rather than blasting a thousand people, the only way you're ever going to get a response is by doing legitimate research and looking into, you know, what problem you might be able to solve and then finding the right person who would solve that problem. And it really, it's very, you know, you have, t you have tools now, but the task is not small if you really want to get something answered to. But all of that research could go to waste because you're using a channel via email that's poisoned with all of the thousands yeah. of of junk. Um, and so I I wonder when you when you go into you're a, con a consultant. I'm sure people call you in and say, hey, you know, open up their their trunk and say, tell us what's wrong, and you know, open up the hood and tell us, you know, what are we missing here? What what's going wrong? Why aren't why aren't salespeople being successful? Is engagement one of the things that you look at? What are you know? What are you looking for in terms of how outreach? Because I'm sure that's one of the big questions that the sales team saying, "Hey, we're not able to get in touch with people. What should we do? What, what's your answer?" Yeah, as far as outreach goes, there's really two things. Number one, people typically don't have like a a process that they follow, so they're just haphazardly all over the place. A little bit of this, oh, I better try that other thing. And then they try that other thing. And, you know, no two, no two pitches sound the same ever. They don't demo the product the same way. They make five calls one day, 45 the next day, you know, haphazard scattershot kind of thing. So the lack of a process is, is almost always inherent in these early stage companies that I typically work with. <clears throat> and the, the second thing is, they just don't take advantage of all of the different channels that are out there. So they'll be too email dependent or too phone dependent. And they're not doing stuff like utilizing 
a kind of referral and partner channel, you know, nearbound kind of approach. They're not utilizing video. They're not utilizing social. They're not playing the long game and sort of like connecting with people on different social platforms and engaging with their content and sort of slowly over time waiting for a little bit of rapport to show up and then saying, hey, Daniel, I saw you posted this thing the other day. We actually solve for that, man. If you ever want to talk, let me know. And just kind of slow playing it. They're, they're so that's what it is, is. They're just too heavily invested in one thing and they ignore the others. And I think that we're in a buying situation now where we've got lots of different kind of demographics in buying positions and everybody has their own preferred method of communication and we don't know which one is right for which person, right? So if you are trying to sell to my parents, they're telephone people still. They talk on the phone all day long. Me, I actually, the easiest way to get a hold of me is to text me. That's going to get you the fastest, best response. You might be an email guy. Someone, somebody else might be a you know, LinkedIn DMs person. Somebody else might be a snail mail person. You know, one of my good friends, uh, Dale Dupreece, sends these like super creative snail mail you know, letters and he has all these campaigns around all this kind of stuff. So you've got to try all of those things basically until you figure out which one is going to work for this particular opportunity. I better stick with that channel. If I'm telling you, you should text me, you should keep texting me. You shouldn't suddenly try to email me, right? Those are the two things. Not diverse enough in terms of the the approach and then just not having a, a process in place. Those are the two biggest problems, I think. It's interesting you bring up early stage because I, I would imagine that's where the chaos initially exists. But it's also interesting because we work with a lot of enterprise level organizations, the same, and, and it's like the problem with scale, right? If you start off with broken process, as you scale, it just gets more broken or, you know, it, it, it breaks at scale. Um, but we still see the same kind of things in like enterprise level organizations. Like when we, yeah. we talk about engagement strategy or outreach strategy, they go, you know, there's more people. There's like interdepartmental collaboration where marketing's talking with, you know, engagement analytics and there's data folks. And and then you ask them, so what do you do when a lead like comes in? Like if you get a new inbound inquiry, what happens? And they go, well, like Jane, do you want to answer that? And then Jane, it's like, well, an email goes out and then, hey, sales, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, sales makes a call. And then you're like, well, how many? And you go, well, it depends on you know who it goes to. And, you know, what where you would expect that smaller organizations would have these issues because they're just trying to build. But sometimes you you go into these large organizations and there's more people, but the chaos exists the same. It's just a, at a bigger level. Yeah, that, that's been my experience as well. And yeah, you sort of ebb and flow between having a stringent process in place and then nothing and loosening the reins a little bit. And then you're like, oh, we've lost control. We got to tighten everything up. And then we tighten things up and then we got to loosen them up again because people feel restricted. It's just like back and forth kind of thing. Um, and so I think, you know, most sales orgs, most companies are going through that exact experience, you know, 
nobody has it dialed in perfectly for very long. That's been my experience. That's interesting that you you noticed the ebb and flow because I think that's that's certainly true. I think it just goes to show that you you can never stop paying attention to it. You can never stop thinking about it and making sure that you've got it dialed in. It's it's not like you just fix it one day and you're like, yes, this is fixed. I never have to deal with it ever again. It's like this is a lead, a living, breathing entity. Yeah. Things are always changing, always evolving. We've got to be tinkering this, tinkering with this, evaluating it, making sure it's being followed. Think about people going in and out of the organization too. So people who were very good at following all this process leave for whatever reason. People come in new to the organization. They're not good at following this process or they come from a different process and they want to do it the old way that they're used to, right? So it's it's this thing that's got to be evaluated kind of all the time. You can't just set it and forget it. How much do you get into tech stacks with your consulting clients? And is there a piece of tech that that's like a, a sales must have that you think all sales and revenue teams should should get? Well, we go we get pretty deep. Um, <clears throat> my my partner Jean Marie Wilkie. She kind of handles all of the operations and tech stuff in our consultancy. So she's usually diving in with people there. You know, th- th- there's the obvious stuff, I think, like you probably need a CRM. That's probably a must have, right? Which one you use, I don't really care, but you should probably use one, right? Then you've got to have leads from somewhere. You've got to have some kind of data. Who am I supposed to call? I think if you're making, if you have no list and you're making salespeople scour the internet, creating their own lists, that's, you know, 1995 called and 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 wants wants their strategy back. Um, So, you know, again, which data provider? My experience is it's completely different. The uh, the accuracy of the data and the experience from one company to the next. Daniel and I, we use, we, you know, we both buy zoom info. We sell to two different segments. I love it. I think it has good accuracy and you're like, this is the worst tool ever. Yeah. So you go use, you know, some other one seamless or whatever, and the experience flips. So don't really care which one, but you, you know, you, you gotta have lead list of, of some sort. And then you, you probably at this point, you, you need some sort of like coaching, you know, tool, some method to, to give and receive feedback, to listen to calls, to, you know, hone in on certain parts of calls that are problematic rather than having to listen to the whole 45 minute demo. So that's conversational intelligence stuff. Do you still need an engagement platform, a a sales loft an outreach type of thing? I think for the last 10 years, people have been like, yes, that's a must have top four must have. Now people are maybe like, I don't know, because nobody responds to email really anymore. (laughs) So do we really need it? So those are like the, you know, tried and true kind of platforms and pieces of tech stack that you need. And beyond that, everything starts for me to get real into nice to have stuff. You know, I, I don't, I'm not somebody that thinks you need to have 20 pieces of tech. You know, I, I came up in a world that 
had nothing. So, you know, I know it can be done without it a little bit. So I, I, th I think you just have to make sure that whatever tool is being utilized by the company is actually being used appropriately by everybody there. You know, if you've got four pieces of tech and there's 50% adoption, adding a fifth tool is not going to help very much. Yeah, the, that one of the, the most common things we would hear when we first started working with, especially, so we, we come from the real estate and mortgage world and everybody's running like independent businesses. And the most common thing you, when you'd ask what, you know, what CRM are you using? And they would say, well, I've got three. <laughs> go, well, why? <laughs> I use this one for scheduling and I use this one for X and the company gives me this one and I don't really blog into, I don't really log into it and I've never, you know, I don't use it much. And it's, it feels almost like, like a diet in some ways where you just, you're prescribing something to someone. It's like, if they're not, if you don't get them onto it, it's just not going to do any good. Um, yeah. So I know that it's more uh, high adoption with a lower amount of tech is better than the reverse. Um, Hey, I, I wanted to talk about, because one of the first things that I noticed that uh, maybe one of the first times I noticed you on LinkedIn was when you was because you have that emoji in front of your name on LinkedIn. And this is one of the most brilliant things. Uh, I think I told you about it when I reached out to you, but one of the most brilliant things, uh, you've done, which is put the emoji in front of your name so that when people uh, reach out and it's one of the merge fields instead of saying hi Scott it says hi like surf emoji guy and you know to ignore it or at least give context to it um, and and then after looking through your your profile I saw that you do this surf and sales summit I wanted to ask about it Who, who's it for and why is a surf and sales summit the most brilliant idea for a sales conference ever <laughs> man I don't remember when I put that surf emoji in there for the first time it was years ago now um it seems so common place now that uh everybody uses seems like something like that but yeah that was why i wanted to catch i wanted to figure out what was a real person and what was a bot sending me some kind of automated message um why is the surf and sales summit the best experience I, out there. I just think it's brilliant that you would yeah. combine because conferences are like they're in well, Vegas and you're walking, you know, you're, yeah. you're walking from air conditioned room to air conditioned room. Um, the idea that you would have surfing involved with the conferences is in my opinion. Well, that's, that, that was the idea. I mean, first of all, I'm not somebody that enjoys going to a conference with 50,000 people there. That's not my scene. I don't, I'm not like super outgoing, you know, party animal type person walking up into booths and saying, Hey, I'm Scott. Who are you? Like that makes me very uncomfortable. My social anxiety like goes through the roof, but you give me around 15, 20 people and I'm fine. Normal. Right. Excited even. So the original idea was why do I have to go to a sales conference with so many people? Why can't we do like a small one? So instead of just barely meeting all these people and never talking to them again, I actually spend about a week with 20 people and I really get to know them and maybe I can help them. Maybe they can help me. Maybe I teach them something. Maybe they teach me something. And then it was, why do I have to go to the 
conference room at the Marriott in St. Louis, Missouri. I don't want to go there. You know, I, 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 all of those places as a venue are just so stale and boring. I don't want to be there. Right. And I'm taking time away from my business, taking time away from my family. It's like, if I'm going to go do something like that, I want to go someplace cool. Right. So I sort of was like, how come no, nobody has a conference in a cool place like Costa Rica, you know, on the beach? And I don't want to sit and listen to people drone on for eight to 10 hours a day. Like, why can't we do three or four hours of content a day? Walk the beach, surf the beach, give people surfing instructions who don't know, you know, how. Have drinks, have food, maybe go on a zip line tour, look at sea turtles like. That sounds way more my speed where it's like half learning, half vacation, small group of people, but it's an experience. And you come out of that experience with like 20 friends and colleagues that you maybe will work with one day, maybe who help steer you the right direction in your business or your career. Maybe they'll hire you one day or you'll hire them. Maybe you close a deal with one of them because one of them was in your, uh, you know, kind of buyer ICP or your profile or whatever, right? And everybody who's come to these events over the last, I guess it's been six, six or seven years now, everybody has like amazing feedback for us all the time. They're like, this was a life-changing experience. You know, this is how sales conferences should be done. You know, I, I learned a ton. I networked a ton, but I'm also refreshed and I have had fun. And, you know, so for, for me... I used to live in, in Northern California and I used to surf, you know, a couple times a week, three, four times a week before I had kids. And then I moved to Austin, Texas. Well, you can't surf in Austin, Austin, Texas. Right. So I had to figure out a way to, to like, you know, scheme a couple surf trips every year, essentially. Yeah. And, 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 and make like a business out of it. Right. So it's like, I got to go to work. I got to go to Costa Rica to go work. So Turns out that, uh, you know, this kind of goofy idea is a hit with, with a lot of people. And, um, yeah, it, we, we've, we've had a good run. We, we expanded and built a podcast out of it. I've done a golf and sales event as a spinoff of surf and sales. Um, and now you see more and more people creating these micro events and, and recognizing the power of them. And, and I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm only thinking of what other activities that I enjoy that we could turn into conferences. Oh, pick one. We could easily do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, literally, well, I'm, as anyone who knows me, uh, I'm somewhat of a pot of a uh, pickleball addict. Oh, and, there you go. Um, I've had multiple conversations with people about creating a pickleball and sales yeah. event, like a tournament, whatnot. Yeah. That's there are enough. I'll, I'll help you do that if you want. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> there are there are certainly enough. I mean, pickleball just going to the to where I play regularly, the park is is close to a business meeting. We talk about everything. There's exactly you know, there's a lot of downtime, and you you get into conversations. Yeah. So um, yeah. and there's now, so many now, now let's say that you run a real estate practice brokerage or whatever, right? And so you decide, you know what, let's host a local like pickleball tournament slash meetup. 
right? So <clears throat> you get people from your industry to show up. You know, you get your lender to show up. You get the, the title insurance person to show up. Everybody who's associated with the transaction in some capacity, right? You get a couple people to sponsor the event. Keller Williams sponsors, sponsors this thing. So-and-so sponsors this thing. Everybody's there, right? Now you, you charge, I don't know, let's call it 100 bucks entry fee for the tournament. All of a sudden, man, if you get 100 people paying you 100 bucks, that's $10,000 in entry fees. Maybe you made another $10,000 in sponsorship fees. You got 20 grand. The venue probably is not going to take very much of a cut in my experience. I did some research on this. They don't ask for very much, right? So not only could you throw this event, which would be a great time, you'd be able to network with all these different people who may or may not want to buy or sell a house now or someday. You capture the lead list of all these people because you've got all their information on the entry fee, right? They are networking with each other. So you've got the long tail possibility of you making revenue off of it. And in the near term, you just made yourself five figures plus for the weekend. That's essentially the surf and sales model, but yeah. applied to real estate and pickleball. And you gave it all away. <laughs> you're on, yeah. you're on the, uh, you're on the, on I the mean, it, the model, the model works really well for things that are free or cheap. Yeah. If you think about surf and sales, I don't have to pay for access to the facility yeah. because the ocean is free. Yeah. Pickleball. Okay. We got to get courts, right? Our golf. When I did golf and sales, we got to pay green fees. I have people hit me up for seven years now who say, you've got to do one for snowboarding, snowboarding and sales, skiing and sales. I'm like, yeah, the math doesn't work because the lift ticket is like super expensive. Yeah. And the lodging at these places is super expensive. So the, there's ways to like do it free and cheap and easy, right? Pickleball is relatively inexpensive. You know, imagine you did cycling. Everybody brings their bike. You just go for a ride or yeah. you go for a run if you're a, a runner. Oh, it's an interesting model. The pickleball one has been explored before. I've gotten close to executing it a couple of times, but I've yet to do it. So well, it's it's ripe for it's ripe yeah. for exploitation for sure. Yeah, there you go. Well, well I, and I may hit you up about that after this, but for for now, thank you so much, Scott, for joining us. It was extremely generous of you to come on. Uh, please follow Scott Lee's, buy one of his books, uh, consider attending the Surf and Sales Summit in Costa Rica, or consider attending one of his other or the Pickleball coming to you soon, the Pickleball Sales and Summit Sales Summit. Uh, anything else to to plug, Scott? No, that's it, I guess. I mean, maybe if uh, anybody listening is, you know, in this kind of like early stage trying to take their company from, you know, 1 million to 25 million kind of growth phase, that's my specialty. I've, I've worked with hundreds of companies over the years. Um, somebody ran the math the other day, and I, I think I have like a almost one in five record of companies who are getting acquired, which is pretty high over the uh, over the norm. So you know, anybody who's looking for help in that department, that's my main job and uh, would love to talk to you. So, Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out to him. Uh, and for us, uh, please like and subscribe and 
Go back through our old episodes to get more nuggets of wisdom from uh, sales and tech leaders for this episode. Thank you very much for being here, Scott. And thanks for listening to 73 and Sunny. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.